From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Whitney Ann Adams. She's a costume designer and stylist who's worked on internationally acclaimed films and countless and a number of horror films on her resume, including Freaky, The Eyes of My Mother, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, Happy Death Day to You, and Christopher Landon's upcoming We Have a Ghost. And rumor has it she had Mary Poppins memorized by the age of two. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. And I sure did. I knew that whole movie by heart. <laughs> did you really? By age of two? Basically, yeah. And I had a horrible British accent for almost a full year when I learned to talk. <laughs> like a really bad one. Like, <laughs> How many times did you watch that movie? Over 200, oh my I'm gosh. sure, when I was learning to talk. And then I later got to work for the costume designer, Tony Walton of Mary Poppins. And I got to, I have a picture of me at, when I'm two years old in a Mary Poppins costume my mom put together. 
So I got to give him a photo of that. So it's the, one of the greatest full circle moments of my life. And he passed away recently, which is a huge, awful bummer. But he was one of the greatest people I've ever known. So grateful for him. Wow. wow. What a wholesome, beautiful story. What a, what a beautiful story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel goodness. very lucky. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. Um Wow. <laughs> um, okay, so let's transition to horror, though, and yes, take it yes. back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to to the horror genre? I think it happened really early. One of the first movies I saw, um, because my family are, were big film people, mm. uh, Alien and Jaws were two of my first movies. <laughs> I'm wearing so, my Alien shirt. <laughs> uh, yep, I, one of my very first movie experiences, and I just sort of fell in love with uh, from there. And then I remember when, you know, in elementary school, you had to do, you know, reading and you got gold yep. stars if you read a ton of books. Well, I just read every single teenage slasher novel there was. And so, so it was so, so many that my uh, teachers called a parent teacher conference with my oh. parents to be like, oh, should we be worried <laughs> about her? And my parents were That's like, incredible. they were like, well, she's reading, right? What's the issue? That's <laughs> There's awesome. No issue, yeah. so. she's, she's okay. She's fine. I, I was the same way in seventh grade, like reading like the Christopher Pike novels. Oh, all like, of them. And yes. I was like, everyone's reading like other stuff. And I'm like, I want the Christopher Pike novel about this vampire lady. Yep. And like, I'm just like ripping through those during reading. Yeah, it was the best. That was like my gateway into all of it. And then since we were such a big movie family, we were just. I got a job in high school just so I could go buy Hell yeah. and a TV. So that's why I got a job. <laughs> Look, we all have different motivations, yeah. and that's a very good motivation. I'm on board with that motivation. <laughs> that's part of the reason why I have a job now. <laughs> yeah. Gotta, Gotta get more gotta, movies. You know, you know, fill those uh, cabinets somehow, right? <laughs> gotta exactly. fill those cabinets. Gotta eliminate all cubic feet in my home with just Blu-rays. I had <laughs> like 500 DVDs by the time Dang. I graduated high school. Dang. It was something insane like that. <laughs> and so I watched all the behind-the-scenes yeah. features, which made me fall in love with horror and all of the makeup and all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Oh, and I remember cool. pouring into every single one that I could, and I think that's how what helped me get into the career I have now. Hell yeah. Do you, do you remember how old you were when you saw Alien? Because that's, um, that's a Scarfillick moment. <laughs> yeah, I think I – oh, I don't remember. I think I was probably seven. Okay. So yeah. pretty, you know, on the younger side. But I think still – you you guys have covered this, but the scariest movie I saw growing up was by far Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, I still yeah. can never watch that movie ever again. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen, and that's saying something. <laughs> that in a movie, it's it's you know it's it's funny how certain movies that are not considered you know horror can still have such a lasting effect on you because that movie for sure it's. You know, I it, it's weird that body horror, yeah, absolutely, percent body horror, <laughs> absolutely. But you you get movies like Alien that's like you know terrifying and all that kind of stuff, and then there's some there's always that one movie that is like this should be fine, and you watch it, it's like oh, this is not fine. This is not okay. That is a triggering movie for me. I, I will never see it again. <laughs> 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 okay, so your family sound like you said that you watched a whole lot of movies. What were some of your your favorite in the horror that you would go to and, and rewatch? Maybe not as much as Mary Poppins, but rewatch right. a whole lot as a kid. As a kid, I'm trying to think of 
you know, I was 10, 11 when Scream came out. Oh, and that okay. by far is my favorite horror movie. Scream is it for me. You know, I love all horror movie across all the decades, but mm. like Scream is very much my favorite horror movie. So I rewatched that over and over and over again. And as the sequels came out, I think the first DVD I bought, because I started buying VHSs, yeah. and the first DVD I bought was Scream 3. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I just kept rewatching the trilogy all the time. I just rewatched it last week, literally, because I was doing work for my new movie I'm working on, and I was gathering images on the internet. So I'm like, let me just put the whole trilogy on. Or, you know, there's five now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your Scream ranking? Oh, that's a very good question. We'll start with Scream, uh, the 1996. Um, and then I love the movie within the movie quality of Scream 3. So I'm going to go Scream 3 next. Wow, okay. I love wow. Scream 3. I love Scream 3. I know it's not what no- people normally I do. I respect it. Yeah. No, I respect it a lot. I'm, I don't know why Scream 3, I think, is a, just a great movie for me. I'll rewatch that more than I think I'll rewatch any of the other ones besides wow. the first one. And then I loved this new one that just came out. It's hard to sort of rank the rest because I love Scream 2. I mean, oh, it's, it's tough. I have to really think about that. They're all just they're all good for me. I I do. It's like I feel like no rank. It's like they all are so good. It's hard to rank them because you're it like is. I enjoy them. Like none of them are bad. Like and they're all different. They they're all extremely all different. Yeah. So it depends what yeah. mood you're in. If I'm in the mood for you know funny you know meta super meta then i'll go with screen three if i want classic i go with the first one you know yeah. all depends what i'm feeling uh i love that so did you you watched a whole lot of movies it sounds like as a kid did were you a, a did movies scare you did you get scared easily as a kid not really i think there was a couple moments stuck with me but mm-hmm. not a movie on a whole i think the the scariest thing besides Willy Wonka um was right as was a uh, last crusade when mm. uh, Donovan ages really really oh. fast <laughs> yeah that i saw i saw that really young as well um I, and it stuck in my mind again i'm a very visual person being a costume designer the visuals just stuck with me and i I could not fall asleep at night unless over and over I repeated, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. It's oh, not going to happen wow. to me. I did that for six months. <laughs> Holy shit. It affected me that intensely. So. <laughs> Holy hell. And that just is a testament to the design of that, you know, special effect. And it's a great special really, effect. It's incredible. I mean, I remember as I got older, I poured over how they did the reverse, you know, filming of it and how they pulled the hair. You know, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's amazing. And so so were you easily scared as a kid? Like was it easy to get under your skin? Yeah, pretty pretty easy to get under my skin. I mean, especially a jump scare still gets me to these days or I'm still scared of the dark. I I will freely admit it if there's a dark warehouse I have to go into for work. I always make sure to turn all the lights on as quickly as possible. So I definitely think there's again, I watch so many horror movies and I love the feeling of getting scared. But also, it appears in my day to day life because of that. <laughs> so I was going to ask. So, as an adult, do you do you still get you still get scared? Oh, totally. Do, do yeah. movies scare you at all? Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. More so than as a kid, or about the same? I think about the same. Yeah, I think because each story is new, and you don't know what's going to happen, and and mm-hmm. with how amazing the design and the score and everything together really creates quite a mood and and 
I'm again, such a visual person. I get pulled into mm -hmm. that story and I'm not a person who's trying to figure out what is going to happen next. I'm very much living in the moment. And because I'm living in the moment of every frame of the movie, it scares me more. Yeah. Do you remember like the last film that kind of brought you back to being a kid or that kind of made you feel like you were a child again in terms of like the horror elements or something that absolutely terrified you? Oh, that's a very good question. I'm trying to think of like the scariest thing that I've seen recently. Oh man, that's a hard question. Um, I'm not sure if I have a good answer right now. No problem. It, putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the thing that like got under my skin recently? I think there was some elements of the black phone that really got under my skin. Um, mm -hmm. And there's still plenty of new releases that I haven't seen yet. So I'm a little behind in my movie watching, but it's been a minute, but I'll think about, I'll think about that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. We, oh, we always throw people on the spot and it's always like, ah, decision paralysis. <laughs> but um, do you, what, so what are some of your favorites uh, as an adult, some of your favorite horror movies? I love, is it, do you say Midsummer, Midsummer, Midsummer? <laughs> Either one. I say, Either I say midsummer. Whatever, right? but yeah. Perfect. Midsummer. midsummer. Yeah. That, I think that is so terrifying, especially because it's so much daylight mm. and there is no shadows mm. or darkness to hide behind. And it's sort of the, the cruelty and the ugliness is so on display. And I think that's somewhat more terrifying because um, it's not hiding. It's very much out in the open. And also that movie is just stunningly beautiful. Oh, it is so beautiful. And you know, the thing is, I was just thinking about this as you were, as you were talking. I, I love the, the director's cut of it because I think it adds a little bit more, um, context to some of the things that yes. happen. But one thing I don't like is that it has a shot at nighttime because it breaks it up, it <laughs> right. breaks up that, yeah. that feeling of all oppressive yep. daylight that I think is so powerful in that film. And mm -hmm. it's like this one moment of nighttime. And I'm like, oh, I wish that was kind of left on yeah. the cutting room floor. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Like, I do love the director's cut. And I, I, again, I'm a person who wants more, not less. Like, mm -hmm. I want to see more of the story. And every time I design a movie, there's always scenes that end up being cut. And I'm always bummed because I'm like, oh, that was a good scene. I wish that had stayed in. I understand running time and, yeah. you know, keeping the pacing. But I'm a more is more kind of person. <laughs> so you've kind of mentioned how you got interested in the you know, behind the scenes work in horror but i want to hear more about how you got into costume design and kind of your how you came to become a costume designer it's it should have been a no-brainer for me but i actually went to college for pre-med or at least oh. initially <laughs> all right yeah I, know. Oh. I got really sick in high school and i was in the hospital uh in and out of the hospital a lot and i had to get a bunch of organs taken out it was a whole situation oh, wow. but uh, I had the surgeon who saved my life and I always loved, um, biology and science. And then physiology was my favorite class, the study of the body. I study the body in a different way now. So I see how it sort of relates, but that was sort of what I went into school doing. And I'd taken drama in high school. I was a horrible actor. I had a horrible stage fright. I was like, I like this world, but I am not good at the acting side. And so I took like all of my science classes first quarter of college and my one fun class was intro to theater design and within three weeks I changed my major I made a powerpoint to show to my parents to be like I'm changing my major to theater and my life is gonna be really hard but I'm ready <laughs> and how could they argue with the powerpoint presentation I mean you can't <laughs> you can't yeah 
You're like, I would have, I made the fucking PowerPoint. There is no way to argue me yeah, out of this situation. Exactly. And like, like, it's like, been well, decided. Okay. They shrugged and like, go for it. <laughs> Very grateful for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Okay. So intro to, to theater design. Is that, was that like all aspects of theater design or was it like set design or, or how, what? It was everything. It was sort okay. of like the general intro class. And I thought, oh, I love theater. I love and it's just all sort of clicked. I can't really explain why I just honed in on costumes and that was that. It was like one of three decisions in my life that I can't really explain why and it was right, but I just knew that was it and I never looked back. And I think now looking back on it, when I was really sick in high school, um, I watched the movie Moulin Rouge every day mm. for like oh, six months. Talk about costume design. I what, mean. I also watched that movie all the time in high school. And I, for no other reason other than it, both I was gay and straight and wanted to yes. do something like that someday. <laughs> that I think looking back now, that movie is a huge part. Like the visuals are everything. And then I, you know, got to work for... Catherine Martin and Baz Luhrmann for a long, long time, many years. And so getting to tell them how much their movie, one, saved my life emotionally when yeah. I was in high school and maybe dying. And then two, led me on the path I'm on now. So I'm very grateful for that movie and for them. Wow. Wow. What a powerful moment to be able to, to tell them that. It's one of the most special things that's ever happened to me. I'm very grateful that that I got to tell them that they really did save my life. You know, wow. when you're spiraling and sick and not yeah. knowing what's going to happen and you have yeah. to escape. I mean, that's why I love making movies is that maybe it just takes two hours out of someone, distracts them from whatever's going on in their life. And, you know, it either scares them or it excites them or makes them feel some kind of emotion. But I like that it's uh, a nice break from our reality for a couple hours. Yeah. So how did you get how did you get involved with working in in movies? Well, I graduated, you know, with a theater degree, moved mm -hmm. to New York, and this ties into to Baz and Catherine. I entered this costume design contest that they were having as part of this promotional series for the movie Australia. They had okay. all these um Apple podcasts where they did like a 10 minute minutes behind the scenes directing behind the scenes, you know, costume design. And they had a couple of contests attached to them. Well, I entered the costume one. I won the whole contest. I won a trip to Australia. And through all these crazy events, I ended up working for them for three weeks, which then turned into however many years now that I've done them. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> because of a podcast. Yeah. Because of a podcast. <sighs> yeah. See, everybody, podcasts are important. Yeah, they're very important. <laughs> that podcast changed my life in that contest. And then, you know, my first movie was The Great Gatsby. Holy crap. What a cool first movie. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I was on that for a really, really long time, um, over a year. And then getting to create. I remember when we were uh, filming the first party scene. And it was the first time we were seeing everyone in costume on set. And they all started dancing. They started dancing. Our tempo track, because we didn't have the music yet. Our, our tempo track was... Um, LMFAO's Party Rock Anthem. Oh my god. <laughs> so everyone's doing the Charleston to Party Rock Anthem and I am bawling. I am crying to what Party a, Rock Anthem. What a juxtaposition. 
So every time I hear that song, I get back to that emotional state of seeing all the, all those clothes together for the first time. So how bizarre you know the charleston is happening lmfao is playing you're crying like what a what a what a time i'm wearing 3d glasses because we're filming in 3d so i have like the and so just tears underneath all of it it was was quite a time in my life (laughs) and that's when i knew that i wanted to do film for the rest of my life and then I met Christopher Landon and I've always, you know, uh, both Nick Pesh and Christopher Landon, my two, you know, two amazing collaborators who I've worked with a bunch. I love them both so much and they make such different horror movies and I love all the things we get to do together because it's incredible. So I was really excited when I saw that you had worked on the eyes of my mother because that movie was like a gut punch of like (gasps) what the fuckery and yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he makes such interesting movies. Like I saw you worked on that one as well as piercing and piercing, I think is a fantastic, like Neo Giallo type infused madness inducing like film. And I'm just, what what was it like working with him on on those movies and designing costumes? I love Nick. Nick is one of my favorite people. I love him so much. He's like such a positive, wonderful, warm person. He makes these like fucked up movies, and I just love <laughs> it. It's such a juxtaposition to him in real life, and uh, you know his uh, imagination is insane, and he's got such a visual language. He mm. was he and I were able to talk and be on the same page every step of the way. His dad was a fashion designer and a costume designer. Oh, wow. and, and so he grew up with that sort of language. And so we knew from the get-go what we wanted, especially... So Eyes of My Mother was the first movie I ever designed myself. And oh, so wow. that was a big deal for me. And also black get, and white. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I bet it was difficult too, because it's in, it's black and white. And so yeah. how do you how do you go about designing when it's, you know, shades of, of different colors? Like well, different... I had my phone. I had a black and white app on my phone. So and when I would go shopping, I picked oh. the filter. I would I talked to our DP, Zach, and like we picked the right filter that we wanted it to look like for the specific black and white. And I just went shopping and to see what popped on camera and what had good contrast and what had. Okay. So I was looking for texture and high contrast and pieces that had multiple sort of style lines so it wasn't just flat and wouldn't disappear. Wow. But it was definitely a crazy process. But that movie is – I'm so wow. proud of that movie. And we made it for no money, but – it, I wouldn't change a single thing. I'm so happy with it. It's a it's a beautiful movie. Like it's 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 so gorgeous to watch and yet so oh, hard to watch. <laughs> yes, there's a lot and it, oh yeah, it's really really hard to watch. I think because it really does crawl under your your skin in such a really visceral way. And you know the performances are amazing, mm-hmm. and I love that it's such a juxtaposition to what we did in Piercing. Like Piercing is like a completely different movie completely. with all the Giallo references and like there's. It's yeah. very funny. It's a very funny movie. It is. And it's so, so darkly comedic. <laughs> yeah. And Eyes of My Mother is not funny at all. Not a single moment of levity. Not a single no. <laughs> I think that's why it's so short, too, because we're like, we have no levity. It's very dark. You're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Piercing is just fun. And that was like such a stylized fashion movie. Yeah. So that was such a great, great time yeah. to do. And then you got involved with with Christopher Landon, and you've you've worked on a number of things that he's been attached to, with Happy Death mm-hmm. Day to you, and and Freaky, and he, I think he wrote uh, Paranormal Activity, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was it like working on all these movies? And I mean, you have we have a ghost coming up too. Yes. What was it like going on this journey with Chris? Because I mean, that's sort of like his career trajectory is 
and yours at the same time almost in a way complete i mean chris is he's one of my favorite people on the planet i think remember i had my first interview with him for happy death day to you i was in baz and Catherine's house for some reason we were doing something and i remember zooming him from a closet somewhere (laughs) and we just had this amazing instant connection and we're like we had the same visual language. We have the same aesthetic with everything. And we're like, that was that. And then we had such a blast on happy death day to you. And, um, I love that he's able to blend so many elements together. Mm-hmm. You know, happy death day to you was both horror and sci-fi and adventure and romance and comedy all in one, but it still works. Yeah. It has all these different genres, but he's able to blend them seamlessly together. And then, freaky i love so much that was such a blast and that's more like slasher comedy mm-hmm. you know but also there's so many sweet elements too and it's really heartfelt and it's not surface it goes really deep and that's what he writes his strong characters and and again a lot of strong female characters too and i like that everything is purposeful and um uh it it just it's really special and then also paranormal activities just scary <laughs> and also doing Amish that was a whole adventure yeah. for me I was good okay I wanted to ask about that experience because yes. like it's paranormal activity in the snow with yes. Amish cult stuff so like you've yes. got period outfits in a contemporary movie like what was that experience like designing oh my for gosh that? well we built everything from scratch so that was all made oh, wow. for the movie Wait, the house and the barn and everything well the bar well the all of my stuff was made from scratch but the oh, your uh, stuff. The Sorry, I were an existing my stuff no <laughs> that the house and the barn were they were a real amish farm but the family had vacated so it's it was a real amish place um but our production designer john collins did an amazing job building it out and making it look perfect for our world and we wanted to look sort of like they hadn't updated in years because they're not going into town very often Mm -hmm. you know they're trying to stay insular and still pretend that they're you know amish we yeah, we had to build uh, all the clothes from scratch. That was a huge undertaking, especially because wow. you can't just go buy Amish clothes anywhere. <laughs> right. You have to make them because they yeah. make their own clothes. And also everything is uh, – there's a bishop who's in charge of the look of the entire community. And so I, I like to joke I was the only female Amish bishop that existed <laughs> that I got to decide, <laughs> you know, the exact look of this community. But – it all had to be the same. Uh, and so you can't just buy that anywhere. So we had to build it all. So that was a huge challenge. And it, it is like basically a period movie, but in contemporary time. Okay, so Whitney, we have talked about your horror history, your incredible career, but what movie have you brought with you today for us to discuss? I have brought Ghost from 1990. Hell Yeah. All right, so for those of you unfamiliar with Ghost, after a young man is murdered, his spirit stays behind to warn his lover of impending danger with the help of a reluctant psychic. <laughs> so, Whitney, we why is this your Star for Life pick? Tell us everything about it. How old were you when you first saw it? When did you first see it? What scared you the most about it? I remember very specifically, I was eight when I first saw it. Um, we, we had the VHS from McDonald's. It, it was a 1993 special release where they sold ghosts at McDonald's and it had the little McDonald's thing on the Wait. corner. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yes. Like, why would they sell that? 
that movie at McDonald's. <laughs> Holy shit, I remember that. This was like a huge deja vu moment for me. Holy God. Isn't that insane? So wow. I remember taking the VHS out of the cover and it having the McDonald's logo. And I remember seeing it with my best friend. Um, and it was just the two of us. And we both realized it was like, oh, this is a very adult movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might be too young. And for me, the reason I brought it is the scariest thing are those freaking shadow demons. They're the scariest thing. And they still yeah. stuck in my head all these years later. They're so terrifying. They still freaked me out yesterday <laughs> when I rewatched the movie. It's like, I do not like this. Oh, <laughs> they're so scary. And even though, you know, uh, visual effects have come along so far, there's something about the choppy quality of it and the facelessness of them. They're just mm -hmm. so, so scary. <laughs> the sound design, too. The, the, the groans and the way they sort of like, uh, as they yes. come into existence. And, and yeah. you know that they made those by slowing down babies crying and playing it backwards no yeah did no they really yeah but this is me who does all the behind the scenes digging all the time but yeah they they slowed down babies crying backwards which is why it sounds so horrifying <laughs> that is that that's I, sound design is so cool but like so that cool. is that is such a <laughs> Oh gosh, because that moment, even even though some of the effect, it it does look a little janky in some. Yeah, I think it I think does. Willie's Willie's oh. uh is really good. Yeah, I think the one where they're sort of dancing Carl. around Carl at the very end is gets a little little too much. But the sound yeah. design just like really brought me back to when I first saw it as a kid for sure. And tied in with that score by Maurice, I think it's Jer. You say his his last name like. He did Lawrence of Arabia. He did, you know, he has had three Oscars. He did this insane score that was really terrifying. And it just leveled up all of the sort of action and spookiness and scariness, especially like the top of the movie. This score is I, it. It brought me back to being a child when I rewatched this movie because I hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid. And we'll we'll get into that story a little bit. But like. This score brought me instantly back to that that childhood feel, and I, I it's it's both the score and also, of course, Unchained Melody, right? Because oh, like, yes, a hundred percent. Oh my god, are you? Kidding what a beautiful me? song! Oh. So gorgeous, and you know, like we all we've all heard that song everywhere, but it's it. it I always think about ghosts when I hear it, for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, so. When I first saw this, I would have been about like nine or 10 because it came out in 1990. So I would have and I saw it on VHS. I know that for a fact. So it would have been I would have been like nine or 10, I think, depending on when that VHS came out. And I honestly I remember kind of being bored by it as a kid. <laughs> Yeah, I, little little kid, you know, boy, you know, like this is all a lot of smooching, a lot of like, you know. <laughs> but then I also remember there's there's a couple things I do remember. I remember the subway oh, yeah. ghost. Oh was yeah, absolutely uh -huh. creepy. So so scary. The the ghost at the end when it like takes a, a hard turn into kind of horror territory with the the finale. I was like, ooh, this is actually really kind of cool. And then the other thing I remember was thinking that ditto meant I love you. Right, yes, a thousand percent. And so I would I would go around saying ditto to my parents as if like I was saying I love you, not oh, like no. not like them saying I love you. And then I said ditto. I was just, just be like ditto because oh, I thought that meant I love so you. Cute. That's adorable. 
But that is like that is literally all I remember about seeing this movie as a kid. Um and so rewatching it as an adult was was quite an experience cuz uh I thought the ghosts were more throughout the movie as opposed to like the the demons right. as opposed to being towards the very end of the film. I think when I first I didn't know what to expect when I popped it in, you know, I just remember that iconic cover of the v- mm. of the VHS and you know I was looking up yesterday the um sort of back of the the VHS and it's really hilarious sort of the description that they um had of the movie it was um think of the most touching love story you ever saw think too of the brightest comedy the most astonishing supernatural tale and a sleek mystery th- thriller did you come up with four separate films or are you among the millions of fans and critics who've discovered Ghost? Wow. <laughs> what? That's on the back of the VHS? That's on the back That's... of the VHS. So I'm like, they're not that, wrong. How can I not pop that movie in? No. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. Like, Maybe they're not a little wrong. bit of exaggeration, but... <laughs> <laughs> how can you not watch the movie when you have that on the back of the VHS box? So, Instant attention getter. <laughs> I was like, yep, going to pop that one in. Uh, and I just remember being so astonished by, one, the costumes, of course. Uh, it was yeah. before I became a costume <laughs> designer. But, you know, Whoopi's iconic clothes and um, mm. that, oh that shirt that Patrick Swayze wears. And he wears the hell out of those jeans. And, you know. Girl. <laughs> you know, he's in one costume pretty much the whole movie. And it is a good one. It is a good one. But so the the costume that that um that Whoopi wears when she goes to the bank uh is is so good. So good. It's phenomenal. And so the costume designer Ruth Morley who did Ghost, it was her second to last film before she died. Um oh, she was uh a, under the tutelage of Edith Head. So she learned from Edith Head who, you know, is one of the most prolific costume designer who had, you know, had eight Oscars and did a million movies. So that was an homage to Edith Head. That look very much was a lot of this throwback to like the 40s and those kind of shapes. And so there was also a research of the 40s uh, and in the 80s. So you sort of see a lot of these parallels and that color and that the hat. Mm. And it's just so iconic. And uh, it was made at one of the studios. Wow, I so I'm, I was looking up Ruth Morley, and she's worked on some quite some some movies: Taxi yes. Driver and Tootsie, Costume yep. and Wardrobe for Superman. She's also the one who designed Annie Hall, and that was probably one of her most uh, iconic, you know, oh, wow looks in all of costumes, especially a contemporary movie, um, to really have such a huge effect on modern fashion. I mean, Annie Hall was definitely a game changer. She very prolific, amazing career. Wow. Uh, I was going to ask what um when when did you first see this movie? I'm trying to remember when I first saw this movie because it was like the kind of movie that was always in my consciousness, but I can't remember the first time that I actually saw it. Like I knew about it. I obviously, but the thing I knew the most about it was the pottery scene, like the really sexy mm. pottery scene because I was like a horny little kid who loved sex scenes in movies. <laughs> I was like trying to figure like, you know, figure my myself out and that was one of the scenes that was just like whoa and so whenever when we had a pottery wheel in high school i like every time i'd stare at it all i could think about was ghost but the thing is i don't remember watching it all (laughs) i can never remember watching it all the way through like i watched it for the first time all the way through today and was like oh okay 
Yeah, I, I vaguely remember this, but I could not tell you when I first watched it, like at all. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Do you? Yeah. Do you remember the the ghosts at the end? Or so when you say you haven't, you don't know if you watched it all the way through. Do you, do you just mean like you watched only part of it, or? Yeah, like I don't know if I caught like caught parts of it on TV. I think it was like something that I caught on TV okay. kind of situation. But like I didn't remember that there were like demons in this movie. Like I I did not remember that there were demons. I just I knew that there was like a mystery and that like, he was a ghost, but I forgot there was like a full on horror movie factor going on with like the creepy ass demons that like ate humans. I completely forgot that existed. So I was like, oh yeah, fucking that's why this movie's so scary, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I never yeah. forgot those demons. Those demons were definitely <laughs> a huge part. I saw, you know, seeing it at what eight, it definitely stuck with me for mm-hmm. a really yeah. long time. Well, and I think because they because they are, you know, so backloaded in the film that like you co- sort of get wrapped up in this sweeping romance mystery sort of noirish type story, and then all of a sudden it like jackknives into that that territory and it's the the scene where where willie gets sandwiched by a by a truck in a car which is like holy crap for for a pg-13 movie they sure do manage to get away with with um you know some nice cuts and stuff so like (laughs) yeah you're like oh my (laughs) and at that moment when the they all like when oh gosh when uh when sam says you're dead willie and then the, they all just sort of like oh. reverse babying <laughs> <laughs> sounds pulling him away. It's a, uh, it's quite a scene. And I think something that really adds to the effect, but beyond the music and the sound effects, is really the actors' reactions. I mean, especially when Patrick Swayze, when Sam first gets killed, and just the look on his face when he sees his dead body. Same with yeah. Willie when he sees his dead body. Just yes. the horror and those wide eyes and how just terrified they are. I think. That really adds to the scare factor because, you know, you put yourself in their shoes and and just the full on their horror sort of matches. There's a lot of eye acting in this movie. So much eye acting. I think (laughs) I was reading Patrick Swayze said it was the hardest thing he's ever had to act in because he was the observer and not the person doing Mm -hmm. any actions. And I was like, oh, that totally makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's. I think that would be really difficult because, you know, you can't interact with anyone on set and you're just, like you said, observing everything. So a lot of what you have to communicate to the audience is done through your physical, your your physical acting and that, well, he's really good in this. So good. I was going to say, he's so good in this movie. And like, I love their relationship from the very beginning. Like they're so cute and sweet and tender Mm -hmm. and they're always, and I think what makes the movie even sadder for me when he when he dies is like they're touching all the time in this movie. Like they're mm-hmm. always like I mean the pottery scene, but like he's always like hitting her like, you know, smacking her on the butt or like they're doing a small kiss. Like they're they're very intimate and in love with each other. And so when he's mm-hmm. unable to touch her, it feels all the more upsetting. Like you guys really were totally. a very like touch-oriented couple and so having that inability makes it even more heart-wrenching to watch. Like, I forgot how sad this movie was. Like, I got God, very devastating. sad this movie. <laughs> it's a very melancholic film. Uh, yeah. Even before, like, stuff happens. The uh, Yeah. Because, like, there's there's a scene earlier on when um, Sam is, you know, there, he does he has a problem saying, I love you, right? And I mm-hmm. – and, you can take it in a couple different ways, but really at the core of it, I, I don't think he he's afraid of getting attached. 
because he says something where he, the line is, whenever anything good happens in my life, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. And so we have that sort of hanging over this entire film. And then we also have them watching like the the footage of the airplanes crashing, that there has been two recent ones. And he's like, oh, they always come in threes. Like there's this sense of doom that is hanging over yeah. Him, the relationship, everything from the very opening. I mean, the opening of the movie in itself is like, I I was surprised at how much of a horror movie it leaned into at the very beginning with like, there's the ghost is on with like this musical stinger that kind of is like yeah, a jump horror scare movie. from the beginning, like the yeah. jump scare of the, t- of the titles. You're like, oh Absolutely. my gosh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I did too. I was like, oh, we're we're going horror like immediately. Like, oh almost. my goodness. And then starting with the slow pan and yeah, all the mm-hmm. credits and through then the, you get <laughs> Yeah, through the through the the place that's eventually gonna become their home, the the warehouse, and it's like, what's going on mm-hmm. here? It's like kind of creepy and dilapidated, and the walls break down, and then there's three very sexy people standing yeah. <laughs> there, two very. of them shirtless. Yeah. I'm gonna say Carl is ripped. Like so that scene, ripped. I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. hello, like, oh Carl. Oh hi. Tony Goldwyn and his like huge big break um they were trying to find I think a more famous actor and then they just kept going back to his tape because he's that good he's very charismatic he's amazing and it's funny to watch it Uh, now you know as an adult to be like oh he was in his 20s when he filmed this and that's insane you know to be so much older than that now as an adult he's a president scandal right yeah 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 (laughs) That's my point of he reference. Sure is. <laughs> sexy, sexy fucking president in scandal. I have a fun sort of. So they did the Broadway musical version ten years ago in 2012. They did a Broadway musical version of Ghost. And did the, they really? I didn't know that. They sure did. Uh, and the actor who played Carl on Broadway, um, I went to high school with. So Whoa! What? He was like. <laughs> Yeah, he was in all of our musicals, like, in high school. And so I just love that the guy who played Carl on Broadway, I, you know, we were in class together. Good for him. What, From what high school theater to Broadway. I Good know, for him. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so this, this opening scene, though, also just is drenched with sexual tension. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, I really just wanted all three of them to, like, just go yeah, just off and, go. and bang. Go have fun. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like... You can feel I, it. Because, <laughs> yes, obviously, there is sexual tension between uh, Carl and, and Demi Moore's character, Molly. Like, obviously, he is lusting after her, but... Quick, quick side note, Demi Moore's short hair is so fucking hot. Anyway, back oh. to him lusting after oh, her. she's gorgeous. Oh, <laughs> she's, man, gorgeous she's gorgeous in this movie. Seriously. And, but, like... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I swear there's tension between Carl and, and Sam as oh, well yeah. in this scene. Like, like, you have two shirtless men banging shit out of things. My kink. Like, yes. just like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't know if you watch TikToks at all, but there is, his name's Thor, I think, and he chops wood. Yes, I oh, see him. Oh my God, sorry. The guttural sound that just came out of my mouth about him. <laughs> Well, on Insta- I, oh, sorry. Go for it. <laughs> no, I just, I'm just thinking like that. This, that's the image I immediately had. Is like, yep, this is this is why I enjoy watching him chop wood. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like bang the shit out of that wall. I, last night I was like posted. I was watching the movie on Instagram, and then I I just literally only other post to put up was the picture of all of them, like the two shirtless guys. <laughs> Tell me more. I was like, all right, hell yeah. <laughs> The bisexual dream right there. Just a beautiful scene. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful gowns. Beautiful, beautiful gowns. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so we, we also we do have to talk about the pottery scene. Yes. Oh, a thousand. Oh my god. <laughs> because <laughs> because again, the melancholic tone kind of continues on through this this moment because as much as I think Unchained Melody is a gorgeous song, it's also very kind of a sad song. Like the lyrics are I've hungered for your touch a long, lonely time, and time goes by so slowly, and time can do so much. Are you still mine? I need your love. Oh God. And it's like That's devastating. <laughs> it is. So like the lyrics of the song that that they are like making love to the phallic pottery right. is um <laughs> is still so sad. It's yeah. so sad. This movie is incredibly sad. And, you know, you get taken out of it with the, the burst of humor with Whoopi Goldberg sections, but then mm-hmm. it easily slips right into it. You know, uh, there was also a really sad costume moment that I thought Ruth did an amazing job with was when um, Demi Moore's character goes to um, uh, the police station to, you know, try to follow up on Willie Lopez. She's wearing the first shirt that Patrick Swayze wears in the movie. When oh, he goes shit. To the office. Is she really? It's the same button down striped shirt. Like she's trying to get as close to him as possible. Oh. It's like devastating. And like it's a very subtle story plot line. But like that's what I love about costume design is that you can sort of see her grief through clothes. Wow. I didn't even realize that. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's I didn't so, clap it's that just, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh my God, that's, that's the same shirt, you know? Uh, cause she talks about picking up his dry cleaning too. And I liked that sort of connecting yes. right before the pottery, or I mean, not like when she's at her potter's wheel later, later, but yeah. Yeah. That was another, that's another like heartbreaking moment where she's like talking about going to, to pick up, you know, the dry cleaning and, Mr. Reynolds, I think is his name, you know, wants her to say hi to him. And it was oh. like, oh, oh devastating. Oh. Very Knowing sad that he movie. is like right there and they can't communicate at all. Oh, it just hurts your heart. And I was like, oof. <laughs> Whitney, you brought up Whoopi Goldberg and I want to, I want to talk a little bit about her. Because uh, yeah. fuck, she's so fucking good in this movie. She's incredible. But I think what I love about Whoopi Goldberg's character in this movie, especially, is like this is a movie about a couple of these two lovers who are separated by tragedy, and it is a movie about them. But then Whoopi Goldberg stands on her own and doesn't make it feel like cheap that it has these comedic moments. Like she balances kind of the tragedy and the comedy of it so well in this movie that makes her part feel so integral to the progression of the plot. Because I, I see a version of this movie where it's like, oh my god, this comedic like this comedic relief is just kind of distracting us from this really upsetting love story. But I love how she brings it together and really strengthens strengthens the film. And fuck, she is such a star in this movie. I mean, good yeah. lord. I mean, there's a reason she won the Oscar. She's so incredible in this movie, and you know, there's still like looking back on it now from a 2022 lens. You know, it's another film with the sort of magical African-American character. And like, that's yeah. you know, more problematic now. Uh, well, problematic forever, but it's definitely like looking through it with a more modern lens and like, yeah. you know, like yes. that's not great. She definitely does the best she can with this, you know, story. And yeah. she's definitely a black woman helping two white people with their love. Yeah. I wanted to bring that I'm up. I'm glad you like, brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> the weird racial yeah. dynamics in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, very. Mm. Because we're following two, obviously, uh, they're obviously very well off because I don't think anyone can afford that no. warehouse in a city. On a pottery He's a banker, salary. you know. I'm exactly. uh-huh. sorry. She ain't so, making jack shit with pottery. I love you, girl. No. I appreciate your art, but like, Not there's no happening. way. <laughs> 
<laughs> so like they're of course incredibly privileged and so we also have um you know contrasted with Whoopi Goldberg's character Otome who is a a con artist and has been in jail and so there's like there's definitely that sort of there's there's a racial tension there yeah. as well and the fact that she even gives up her body for these white people right? to it's, yes. to like have this last moment is like those moments were tough to watch now it's kind you of know? cringe it's, it's definitely <laughs> cringe <laughs> and she's incredible you know and she does she an amazing is. job in this role and she's so funny and but there's that still there that cringe that like oof they're making her do what they're making this character do what you know yeah just yikes <laughs> And I know is is a is a big moment for her, you know, because obviously Academy Award winning from this, you know, she's she's now an EGOT winner, you know, yeah. so like there's, you know, there's there's all of that aspect to it, and it created this friendship between her and, and Patrick Swayze, and from what I understand, he was instrumental in her getting the role. Yes. Yeah. And he said that he wasn't going to do it if she didn't, if she didn't get it. And I I do think there's a funny moment in the script though because um there when. When they're at the bank and he's trying to coach her and he's telling her to go talk to Lyle, um, he says he could have had a conversation with Tina Turner and wouldn't remember. Tina Turner <laughs> also auditioned for Oda May's right, character. And so I was like, oh, that's just a little funny moment. Wait, that's fucking incredible. I, I just love that they had such a great friendship. That's so sweet. Yeah. Lifelong friendship that lasted up until his death, unfortunately. But yeah, that's a... Uh, it's it, it's so it's difficult because like this movie did give her so much and she makes she acts the hell out of this role. She is so funny in it. Her comedic she timing does. is on point. She she creates this character to make it feel as if it is a full fledged character and not just like the you know the black friend that sort of you know yeah. props up the white people. She does give this character a lot more pathos and empathy than I think the role was probably written for. Uh-huh. So like there's you know it's like a dual edged sword because it is it is incredibly cringe to watch this because it is a trope that still continues up to I mean when yeah. they did we did the stand and she again is playing Abigail the you know so it's like it's unfortunate but also it she did really, really good made things. it her own and you mm-hmm. know she has agency and she has like her own wants desires and needs and you know she really was the perfect person for this role. And she really absolutely, you can tell she's a star. She's a complete star. Yeah. And yeah. so just watching her, it's, it's incredible to watch. It really well, is. Speaking of her costume design too. I mean, like she has some incredible, like, I feel like the oh, costume design. And, again, every look. and like, I think there is, especially when she goes to the bank and she's not very like the giant, like the, I love that. And obviously it's supposed to be like, look, she's not rich. She doesn't know any better. So there's that awkward tension again with that moment that it's like, the costume design is so cool, but it's it's setting this very interesting power dynamic that is uncomfortable to watch sometimes, like, in this and movie. Her, but it's her style is my favorite, even when she's just in her day clothes. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. every time she goes to see Molly, she's just wearing her her normal style. And I love, you know, Ruth found all these amazing um, hand she got a someone in LA to hand paint all of those silks and all those silk shirts oh, wow. and stuff that she was oh. wearing. And they're all so special and unique. And you can tell that Oda May has a point of view with her style, with her look. And yeah. I love that that continues through whatever she's wearing. Um, just a really c- cool way to create that character. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Carl, I want to talk about Carl because, um, I find him so incredibly sexy in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really yes. do. But also, he is a dirtbag. The, the, even dirt without bag. even without getting him killed, even without like all of that stuff, just the way the scene that like is cringe comedy, I think at its finest, is when he goes up, he goes to Molly's uh, apartment oh. and is trying to like seduce her. Yes. So oh my God. Like, well, my even God. before that, he's like taking off his coat and he's right. throwing his tie to the side and his shirt right. is open. And I'm like, okay, if you weren't such a dirtbag, this would be working for me. Right. And then he spills his <laughs> coffee on it. He's like, oh, I got to take off my shirt. She's like, do you want me to go wash that? Oh, no, it'll dry. Dude, it's coffee. It's that shit is going to leave a stain on, on your shirt. But no. Oh, I'm good. And then he's slowly, you know, creeping towards her on the couch and getting closer. I'm like, you are so creepy. <laughs> you're like oh you're so good looking but my god you don't know how to flirt at all (laughs) no it was so awkward to watch it was so cringe and she's i don't i can't tell if she's like if if like she's initially you know just sort of writing it off or she knows what he's doing because there's like that push and pull where you know they eventually do kiss and it's that's that moment and she pushes him back and stuff but like i'm like dude you are trying so hard and at the beginning she's having none of it she's just like completely oblivious to it it seems like she's like my man just died like she's been she's not thinking about any of this and you're like my guy like if you you did cause him to die but you should have waited a little bit longer (laughs) like that's that's just no just a bit no i mean it's hard to tell how much time has passed but it's like it doesn't seem like a whole lot of time has passed since since the funeral and whatnot right i wouldn't imagine there's that you know Patrick Swayze wouldn't stick around for that long without doing anything. (laughs) One scene that sort of, you know, Carl's a horrible human from the very beginning is that elevator scene, which really hits different now with COVID. Oh my God, (laughs) doesn't it? (laughs) I was was like, oh, I'm talking about the rash and oh, it's contagious and... And, and he's coughing and, he's and touching. Coughing. And... I was like, oh, well, first God. of all, I was like, there's way too many people in that elevator. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's so weird watching things like that would have been a normal scene, you know, and now it's like with COVID, it's like, you guys are way too close to each other. <laughs> and then to do that, I was like, no. It really set me off. I was like, Sir. oh, no. Oh, I am. <laughs> My skin was crawling because now, you know, I'm a, I'm an immunocompromised person due to all my prior health issues. Right. So it's like, I don't go anywhere near those situations anymore. So it now makes me like super like, oh, no, that would be my nightmare if I was trapped that in the elevator with that guy. <laughs> trapped in the elevator with someone that's coughing on you, let alone, you know, joke or not joke. He is coughing. He is touching them. Like, it's like. Like, dude. No. <laughs> and they just sort of laugh it off. And I'm like, right. yeah, you wouldn't be laughing that off anymore. You'd be like on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> A thousand percent. I was like, oh, God. I, one thing that that um, I did notice on this watch, and it's something that like, I, I don't think it's it's necessarily pronounced, but this movie reminds me of noir. I think this is, there's a lot of noir to this film. Mm-hmm. Because like, you have like this random murder and the investigator has to solve it and eventually it leads straight up to the top and there's double crossings. There's all that kind of stuff. And I would say that a subversion is that Carl is a hom fatale, fatale as opposed oh, to yes. a femme fatale because he's double crossing. There's blackmail. There's con games. He's using his sexuality. Like, I think he's a hom fatale. I think he's one of the very few that we have. I absolutely love that. I think that totally makes so much sense, especially with how it's filmed, the cinematography, the score. So many of the scenes feel almost black and white because they're so mm-hmm. desaturated, especially the subway or the streets, and it might as well be in black and white. Yeah. 
I hadn't thought about that. That's so interesting. I love I love noir and I love the aesthetics and like the the sort of like plot details about particularly the the fact that like something so small ends up becoming like this big thing where his his murder, which seems so random, it's a mugger that kills him, is actually this complicated plot <laughs> to get four million dollars transferred to some drug lord. Right. Like <laughs> Right. You know, feels very much like a noir plot. Like, wait, uh-huh. what? <laughs> there's drug dealers involved. There's double crossing. There's a handsome, mysterious person that is at the center of it, manipulating everything. Like, it's noir. But it sent me on this like rabbit hole of like looking up like the the trope is called Who Done It to Me. The sort of like uh. murdered person has to solve his ah, own. Ah, yes. And I found one that is absolutely hilarious called you can never tell this is from 1951 and here's the plot synopsis an ex-army dog inherits a fortune (laughs) from his eccentric (laughs) dog from his eccentric millionaire and is poisoned and he asks the leader in in heaven for animals to send him back to earth as a human private investigator to solve his own murder i'm sorry what are you speaking I need to watch this movie immediately. You can never (laughs) tell is what the movie is called. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe that? That's someone was on drugs when they wrote that movie. (laughs) Absolutely. And then there was a reverse of this movie in 1980 called Oh Heavenly Dog with Chevy Chase in which a murder detective must avenge his murder after he is reincarnated as a dog. Okay, that person watched the other movie on drugs. Uh-huh. And it's like, what do we do? Let's do this. It, let's do let's the reverse re- of reverse it. it. Get Chevy Chase. Done. Done. Movie made. <laughs> But that's so like I was looking because like the crow obviously is is similar to this and that, you know, a person gets murdered and has to, you know, avenge himself from beyond the death. But like that, seeing that movie and seeing it on the 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 TV tropes website of of the whodunit to me TV trope, I was like, that is wild. That's amazing. I need to go seek out this movie and watch it immediately. (laughs) I definitely want to. Well, you, so you brought, so I'm glad you brought up noir because I wanted to bring up the fact that this is like a rare urban haunting movie. Yeah. Like, this is a movie about ghost haunting subway cars. Mm-hmm. Like, we, ghost stories are so much about like haunted, big haunted houses in the middle of nowhere, like people who died hundreds of years ago. Like, it's always those kinds of hauntings. But this is it a rare example of urban contemporary spaces being haunted by ghosts. But again, we don't see a lot. Like, and this makes, like, I thought a lot about this with the angry train ghost, which fucking set me, like, that made me jump and set me on edge. Scary. Because you just think of the subway as something that's like, yeah, there's weirdo, like, there's weirdos on the subway, but it's not haunted. But then you see this and there's a guy who, a ghost who claims the car of a subway car. And, you know, all of these, like, these buildings and hospitals have ghosts just hanging out in them. And I think it's just interesting that we have this kind of movie where urban spaces are not safe from the dead. Right. You know, I think there's always this illusion of safety in the city from the supernatural because it's a city. And this movie kind of just goes against that, especially because people are taken away by demons in the middle of the yeah, street. Seriously. <laughs> with the, um, the mugger gets just, like, fucking taken by a demon in the middle of the goddamn New York street. I'm like, yep, yeah, you know what? Great. I love that. 
So I thought that was just a really interesting and in, another inversion of a kind of a ghost story that you're used to seeing. Definitely. I and also seeing the ghost mo- movie from the ghost perspective, which we like very rarely get. And yeah. so I thought, you know, that coupled with the urban spaces, it's, it's such an unusual movie because I think that's why it was the highest grossing movie of 1990s. No one had yeah. ever seen anything like that before, which to, to me, it's insane that that was the highest grossing movie of 90s. I mean, I love this movie, but what? <laughs> it's it's wild. It's wild to think because this movie that is, is wild um, to me. I, I mean, maybe because it's hitting so many different quadrants, yeah. you know, like the horror fans might be going to see it and it's a sweeping room. I don't know. But mm-hmm. that is a that is a wild moment. But I, I did want to stick with the subway ghost for a moment because Vincent Schiavelli, I think is how you pronounce his last name. What a, He's a fantastic character actor, was a fantastic character actor, but he yes. is so good in this as being like just like he's terrifying because I, I forgot that that there is someone that sees him and all of a sudden he gets up and he's like charging him and throwing him through the you know the the train and it's like you get a little tiny fight scene but then you also a little bit later get the weirdest inversion of like the Yoda teaching um you know Luke how to like use his powers where like he's basically the Yoda character showing him how to use his mental you know force type powers to move things and I was like I was just laughing at how how silly it was but also how important it was to the plot he was he's so scary so important to the plot and then the last time you see him it's very also sad you go through quite the roller coaster where you're terrified of him when you first meet him then you're sort of like oh this guy he just is really angry but look at him Mm -hmm. he's got the skill and he's teaching our you know our hero uh what he needs to learn but then and then he gets paranoid and r- runs on the train again. So he goes through so many different emotions. Well, it almost mm-hmm. seems like he for- he forgets that he was talking to this guy because he's like, "Who are you?" All of a sudden, yeah. he's like, and he he yeah. wants he wants to get a drag from a cigarette, and he can't like physically do that. So there's like again that sense of melancholy of like him being stuck here, and you don't know how long he's been stuck here. And he even says like, mm-hmm. well, "They pushed me," and. He says that, but then the last thing he does is he goes and jumps into the train. And it's like, mm-hmm. what is what is going on here? Yeah, and how long has he been stuck there? And is his memory accurate? And yeah, his whole story is extraordinarily sad. I mean, this whole movie, again, how did this, <laughs> how is this the highest gro- grossing movie? It is, well, I mean, plenty of high grossing movies are extremely sad. Um, but this, this was... It's, well, this movie is sexy... Yes, it and is. sad and scary. It's, it's everything. Like, it's and funny. Like, I wrote that yeah. down. <laughs> funny. Like, it's got everything. Everyone's really hot in it. It's got steamy sex in it. It's got this sad romance that you can't help but root for in it. There's scary elements to it. It's got, it's really does got it all. It's quite impressed. I was quite impressed with how it balances everything. Like, it's definitely like really cheesy, but I think it worked, that works for this movie. Like, I was like, this movie is so cheesy, but it's creepy too. And I appreciate how well everything is kind of balanced in this mm-hmm. movie that like probably shouldn't work, but it does. It and totally I does. Love that. It's such, I love it. I love this movie. It's phenomenal. Again, I make a lot of movies that are multi-genre that sort of span lots of different feelings and it always keeps you on your toes and it's always exciting because you don't know where it's going to go next and, uh, you know, feeling all the different emotions in one movie is pretty exciting. The the most surprising thing for me is is realizing on this watch that this was directed by Jerry, Jerry Zucker. 
who was part of the ZAZ team of directors, Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker, who did things like Airplane, Top Secret, The Naked Gun, the Kentucky Fried Uh movie. Yeah. What? Yeah. He would eventually go on to direct Rat Race. So this is the director of this movie is known for those Leslie Nielsen movies for a lot of them. And it was written by the guy that wrote Jacob's Ladder. Bruce Joel Rubin. What? Yeah, that came out the same year, right? The Didn't same, I believe yeah. so. The same year, yeah. He would eventually also write the write wow. Deep Impact as well. Oh, Deep and, Impact. <laughs> <laughs> so, what a mashing of like is I. So, what I did find out is that Zucker did uh, lighten up the script considerably. He added humor, and he wanted to focus on a more moral type uh, aesthetic. So, like. Uh, evil acts get retri- get retribution, and so I'm I'm really curious. I'd really be curious to see what the original script looked like because I have a feeling it was a bunch darker and maybe more in the same vein of like Jacob's Ladder in terms of like being more Whoa. seedy and and that kind of stuff. Because I, I it does sound like they together made it a little bit more family friendly. <laughs> Shall we say? Which I think was the the good smart oh. idea. I think in yeah. one of the original drafts, Oda May died. I'm like you can't kill oh, Oda wow. May. <laughs> oh. Oh wow. Which would have been that a whole been different even movie. Fucking worse for this movie. Seriously, <laughs> you can't kill her. Dynamics oh yeah. On top of- <laughs> bad. Just would have been very bad. <laughs> but speaking, so you had also mentioned, you know, that there was that the Broadway musical. But I also found out when I was looking on. Um, Bruce Joel Rubin's IMDb page that there is a remake of this movie from Japan. Really? Yes. Uh, <laughs> there is a Japanese remake of this film. Amazing. And I really kind of want to watch oh, it. Oh, definitely. A thousand percent. I do too. I, that sounds incredible. I need to seek that out as well. I now have so many more things to add to my watch list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious though, Whitney, do you believe in ghosts? I don't. I'm one of those atheists. <laughs> I was very much a science-based person. Um, I don't. I mean, I I don't really know 100%. I can't determine, like, this is exactly how the world works or this or that. But, you know, I, I'm open to them existing, maybe. But I've seen no evidence. I'm very much, even though I'm not in science anymore, I'm very much have a science foundation to my life. So if I don't have proof, <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> Kind That's of the way I am too, and I I know Mary Beth believes in believes in all the the supernatural boogie boogie. I do, awesome. I, I do, and it's so weird too because it's like I'm not a very I'm not a religious person. Like I don't believe in like God, I don't believe I don't know I don't want to believe, but I don't I'm not like a religious person. So it's not like from like an it's not from like a there's a God and a Jesus kind of scenario, but it's like, there's something else out. Like there's like, to me, it's like interdimensional weirdness. And I sound like a tin hat wearing person when I talk about it like that. (laughs) But I do believe, I do, I I unapologetically believe in ghosts. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I think that's awesome. You can fool me. I love you tell me a ghost story, I'll believe in the flight and sinker. Yeah, you're like, they're great. A thousand percent. You tell me a ghost story. Exactly. You tell me a ghost story. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Uh huh. That's that happened for real. <laughs> I love ghosts because I get I to make them. You. you know, like uh, we have a ghost. My upcoming yeah. movie with uh, Chris Landon. And that again is one of the main characters is a ghost, and so 
there's a lot of through lines there with with this ghost movie. Yeah. Is that you have a main character from the ghost point of view. So that was very fun to do. I also, this movie made me realize I would have sex with the yeah, ghost. Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, if it <laughs> was like, like it was Patrick oh, Swayze. a thousand percent. He was it oh, for me. me. I remember I watched Dirty Dancing, you know, young too. And, you know, Patrick Swayze was it. Like the bad boy. <laughs> oh, Patrick Swayze. T- a tender lover. <laughs> yeah. He was having a time in like the in the late eighties, early nineties with like Dirty Dancing, Roadhouse, Ghost, mm-hmm. Point Break, oh, like Point Break, I Roadhouse. It's like my favorite actors growing up. It's like Harrison Ford, Patrick Swayze, and Keanu Reeves. Ah, <laughs> oh. oh, Keanu, incredible. Love Keanu. So Point Break, I was like, yes. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because like I, I remember wanting to watch Dirty Dancing as a kid. My parents wouldn't let me watch it. I think really? because of the title. <laughs> And that was also the title, the reason why I wanted to watch it, because I was yeah. like, ooh, this sounds sexy. <laughs> You're like, give me that dirty dancing, please. Yeah. Well, it's such an evocative cover, too, with, uh, you know, her, well, not, I guess, like, I'm trying to remember, I think there was, like, because I'm looking at it on IMDb, and that's not the cover I remember, but uh, I, I thought there was, like, a cover of, of like, what's her name? Jennifer Grey, um, like, on her hands and knees. and Oh, yeah. Oh. They were they're doing the, like, baby... Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, I. So I never, I never got to see that until I was oh. in, I think, either high school or college is when I first saw that movie. So I, I missed out on a whole lot of like his whole prime. Bunch of Patrick Swayze. This was my. I think action. this was the only movie of his that I saw it when I when I was a kid. Oh, really? It was actually Ghost. Was Ghost. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, he's you know it's one of his best performances. He's so excellent in this, yeah. and I think that was one of the things that drew him to this movie is so different from Roadhouse and mm-hmm. Point Break and, you know, all of those other action movies he was doing. He didn't want to get pigeonholed, which I totally get. Right. Yeah. Well, um, do we want to start wrapping up and start moving towards giving this our rating out of five? Yes. So before we do give um, our ratings for this, though, rewatching it, does this movie still scare you? Or did it bring you back to being a child again? Or is it a... Uh not as scary as it used to be. It's definitely not as scary as it used to be, but there were moments that brought me back to when I first watched it as a kid. And I think most movies do that to me. If I watched it when I was really young, I still think of what, how it made me feel when I first watched it. And so Mm -hmm. watching those demons again, I remembered the feeling, but it felt very different this time. But I just remember how special the design and I, I was able to look at it more as an adult perspective, but yeah. it was fun to revisit the kid in me watching that VHS from McDonald's. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I, I honestly, I completely even forgot that that was a thing. And it was, when you said that, it like literally <laughs> like a memory was unlocked in my mind, like like what i forgot about that what what a wild what a wild time so strange the 90s you know (laughs) well terry let's start rating this sucker out of five how many pieces of phallic pottery out of five do you give ghost terry you know i don't have any nostalgia towards this like i said because i remember being bored to tears through most of this as a kid um, and then like being like instantly excited at the very end. And then also thinking that ditto was a word for love. So like, I don't really have any nostalgic attachment to this film. So watching it as an adult, it was such a weird experience. Cause I remembered virtually nothing about the film, 
but I fell in love with it a whole lot more. I think there are, I mean, we talked about the, the most problematic aspect of it mm-hmm. and that kind of like, but even with that, I think this is such a well-made movie that hits so many different emotional quadrants that just like is sad and funny and sexy and a little scary in spots. And I just, I think it's so well acted. I think Whoopi Goldberg is a star and I am so glad that she was in this because it, it really helped, you know, create her career. So like, there's, there's a whole lot to love in this. So I'm going to give it, I think, four pieces of phallic pottery out of five. I think this movie is, is, is really good. And it's, as you said, Whitney, it's surprising that this was like the biggest box office hit of that year. It's, it's, it's wild to me, but I'm going to stick with four. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm also going to give it four pieces of phallic pottery. I was like, obviously knew about this movie. I had seen it at some point, remembered nothing and rewatching it today. I was just so struck with how we've talked about how it straddles so many different genres and so many different stories. And, you know, when I first saw it over two hours, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what could be happening in this movie for two hours? And I was compelled to, <laughs> I was compelled to full two hours. So you know what? Like, mm-hmm. good for them for making me be like, hey, actually, those two hours and seven minutes were, in fact, worth it. It wasn't like, you know, a slog. It all kind of comes together into this really... It's paced really well. Yeah, it comes together in this, like, wild, sad, sexy, scary, thrilling package that is just, like, I think, so... In- to be very indicative of, like, that era of movie... Ma- of, like, very good filmmaking, of just kind of everything you could want. And it's just a delicious, delicious cinematic treat, so gonna go with four um and then Whitney you have the final word how many pieces of phallic pottery out of five do you give ghost I think I'm definitely gonna go with uh 4.5 so nearly the full amount of pottery um like both of you said this movie is really special and rewatching again it's been over a decade since I've seen it and I realize now how much this movie was a foundation to the path that set me on making movies and making horror movies and you know, how much the design aspect was so strong in this movie and how it blended all these genres together, which is one of my favorite type of scripts to do. And I see so much of this movie mirrored in my my life now. And so it's just really special to me to, you know, rewatch it and see it and see how much this movie probably did help change the course of my life. So I'm very grateful for it. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much, Whitney, for joining us to talk about the movie and plowing through all of our internet issues. We appreciate it. Um, where can our listeners find you online? And what do you have coming up that you can share or talk about? I am on uh, Instagram at WAA Costume Design. And I'm on Twitter at De- uh, Whitney A. Adams. Uh, and coming up uh, later this year, we don't have a release date yet, but Christopher Landon's movie, We Have a Ghost, that I costume designed is coming out. And it was a whole bunch of fun to make. It's a family adventure. So it's not horror, but it involves a ghost. Um, and uh, look for that on Netflix uh, very soon. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Ghost? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGaley Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. 
And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want more of us talking, uh, you can subscribe to our newly launched Patreon. Please and thank you. Thank you to Eric Parr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.